0: God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from City Light Church in Omaha. Here's Pastor Chris Haruska. A couple years ago, when we were starting the church, I got an email from a guy named Jake, and Jake uh, said, "Hey, I would love to sit down with you. I heard a little bit about your church, and uh, would like to get to know you." So I sit down with this guy, and he starts to open up about a story. And I didn't know what I was stepping into. This guy walks in to the Starbucks. He's like 6'5", former D1 baseball player, just massive. He's got like muscles on top of muscles on top of muscles. So I sit down. I'm like, no big deal. I could take him. Anyway, so um, <laughs> he sits down. And he starts to tell me his story. And I said, man, tell me about what's going on. and like, why you want to get together? He said, honestly, Chris, I'm going to be a dad. And I don't know. I don't feel ready. And I said, uh, well, awesome. Tell me about your situation. He said, well, I, I'm not just having a kid, I'm having two kids. I was like, twins? He said, no, like with two different women. I said, oh, okay, all right, so talk to me about that. So uh, he, he had uh, two women pregnant, expecting children. He's obviously confused about what to do. He's obviously hurting, like, where did I just lead my life? This got complex really fast. Also feeling the weight that, like, these women are not happy with him. Those women's mom and dads are not happy with him. Uh, he's got a lot of people mad, a lot of people frustrated, a lot of people confused, and a lot of uncertainty in his future. So he sits down. And he's like, Chris, this is my reality. I've, I know I've done something wrong. This is not where I want to be. This does not feel good. What I know is I've been leading my life, doing what I want, trying to do things that uh, make me feel alive in the moment. But man, it is creating all kinds of chaos and wreckage. And um, I just don't know what to do. And uh, so I looked at him and uh, just started to share the gospel with him. Uh, What he didn't maybe understand is that God, I believe, was pursuing Jake. God was already convicting him of his sin. God was giving him a spiritual hunger for God. He started coming to our church, started getting plugged in. And so uh, I got to sit right there in that Starbucks and look at a guy who's just feeling the weight of his sin, the weight of brokenness and rebellion, the weight of what he was doing to other people. And he was feeling that. And I said, I just want you to know there's really great news in the gospel. The great news in the gospel is that Jesus came for the sick, not for the healthy. That Jesus can forgive the guilty. That Jesus can make clean what is dirty. That Jesus wants to receive you and love you and forgive you and make you new. And he can write a new and better and beautiful story on your life. He just started breaking down, weeping. This was not the gospel for somebody else out there. The gospel was for him in that moment. And he just prayed with me right there in a Starbucks. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I surrender. Jesus, I want you. He starts showing up every Sunday morning. Soon got baptized. Uh, then he said, I, I want to take responsibility. He got engaged, started pursuing uh, one of the women that was pregnant. Um, and so he ends up getting married, asked, asked me to do the wedding. And so it was my joy to stand with Kelly and Jake and see them enter into this biblical covenant called marriage. And now 10 years later, I'm still in this guy's life. Uh, this guy has become a Bible reader. He whips out his Bible app and says chris i haven 't missed a day on the Bible reading app all year. I was like, "I missed a day called yesterday wow you 're outdoing me okay um, It was amazing like he has he 's a real disciple of Jesus, still part of our church he 's actually praying for his children he 's taking responsibility in his home. He runs a small business and is like telling me stories about what it looks like to be a business owner that 's just and generous with his employees. It is awesome to see the very different life that is true of this man. Jesus has changed this guy's life. He's soft towards God. He loves his wife. He takes responsibility. He pursues purity. He walks with biblical generosity and justice. I love seeing God transform people's lives. God changed my life. God's changed many people's lives in here. And I believe that he still does this. And so all that to say is sometimes when we meet people like Jake at their worst, we can think to ourselves, man... There's no hope for a guy like this. Like, there's surely, this guy is too hard, too skeptical, too rebellious, too broken, whatever. He's never going to want God. And maybe God doesn't want anything to do with a man like that. Maybe we've said that to ourselves. Can we be honest? Maybe God's not interested in a person like me because I've done this thing. And if anybody knew, they would probably want nothing to do with me too. So we say this stuff and we believe this stuff. But I just want to say the great news of this text is that Jesus came for people like me and you. There's no one in this room or in your life that's done something that's disqualified them from knowing Jesus, being forgiven by Jesus, receiving Jesus, experiencing a new heart in Jesus. Like what I see in this story in Zacchaeus is that Zacchaeus Zacchaeus was just an absolute bad dude, greedy, selfish, taker. Uh, He's the guy that at some point oriented his life around this decision. What does it look like to get more money and what does it look like to get more power? And in order to do that, he was willing to break all the rules. He was willing to to oppress the vulnerable, to take from the weak. He was was willing to exploit people. He was willing to break a lot of rules to get more money and more power. He's the kind of guy that made families worse, neighborhoods worse, communities worse, not better. But God, but God broke in. And this guy becomes one of the most just and generous people in the entire city. See, Jesus changed him. And I want you to know Jesus can still change you. He can free you. He can work in you. But I just wonder, do you still believe that Jesus Christ can still change people like he did Zacchaeus? Do you? Or have you bought into this, like, kind of soft version of Christianity where we adopt some theology and we learn to sing some songs, but we actually functionally start to believe that Jesus can't change our marriage. He can't change your heart. He can't change the way you look at your finances. He can't change your addiction here. He can't change the bitterness. Like, We have to come to this and say, if if this is Jesus, if this is what he can do, that he can do it in me, and he can do it right now in this generation, he can do it in this city, he can do it with your kids, he can do it in your life, he can do it in your heart. Like Christianity is not just where we go to meet some nice people. No, It's, it's where we experience Jesus. He's alive, he's seeking and saving the lost, and he has the power to change you from the inside out. He wants to be your friend, your savior, your lord, sustainer, empower you to live and love people like him. So today... I don't have like six points. I've got one point, one big idea. It's this Jesus seeks and saves and transforms people for his glory and their joy. So there we go. We're going to get into it. Long intro. You're with me, but we're waking up. Let's go. All right. Here it is. It says this He, Jesus, entered uh, Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. All right, so the first thing we get in this story is we get the characters and we get the setting. And so Jesus has been walking towards Jerusalem, right? He's turned his face towards Jerusalem. He knows what's before him there. He's going to go die on the cross for our sins in our place. He knows why he's walking towards Jerusalem, but he's very close. He's about 15 miles away from Jerusalem. He's in Jericho, which is just just outside of the city. And so that's what's happening. And then then we also learn that not not just the setting in Jericho, but we also learn about who's in Jericho, a guy named Zacchaeus. And he was maybe the, the guy that was the most hated in the city because he was a tax collector. And tax collectors uh, were kind of outcasts for a couple reasons. Number one, he's Jewish and he's working for the Romans who were oppressing the Jewish people. So this is kind of working for the wrong team. Nobody liked Zacchaeus. All right. Also, tax collectors got their money. If you were a citizen of the Roman Empire, you didn't pay taxes straight to the Roman Empire, you paid them to a local tax collector. And Zacchaeus was that guy. He had gotten the tax franchise for Jericho, and so he was responsible for collecting taxes. And the way he made his money is he would collect taxes from all of the, the citizens, but then give a portion that he had committed to back to the Roman Empire, and then keep anything above and beyond what he had, had, had pulled out of people. So tax collectors basically have the backing of Roman soldiers. They have the freedom to collect taxes. And so they were known for being extraordinarily greedy people. You did not want to run into Zacchaeus. He was going to wave you over and he was going to take money out of your pockets. And Z- what we learned is that Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector. He's like the chief tax collector in the whole region. He's the head kingpin of the tax cartel. All right. This guy has a team of people. And what he's doing is he's setting up little tax booths on every little side of the road, and he's calling people over, and he's shaking them down, and he's taking money and valuables off focus. So what we learn is, by the way, this has made him very rich, all right? He's very rich, but as Tupac would say, the great theologian, he got it in a sleazy way. He got it in a sleazy way, all right? You can be righteous and rich, all right? You work hard, you can get rich by being Hardworking, but this guy is not. He has no real job. He's just taking people's money. That's his job. He's just taking it off them and extorting people. So most people look at Zacchaeus and they saw who he's been, right? This is who you've been your whole life. You bought into money, you bought into power, you're willing to break rules, you're willing to rob widows, you're willing to take from people. This is who you are. This is what's going on in your life. This is who you'll always be. They couldn't see that God was actually preparing his heart for something new. God was actually seeking and saving a guy like this. So uh, Zacchaeus, um, what we're going to learn really quickly is that he has a desire to see, encounter, walk with, and be known by Jesus. And we don't know how this little desire, this little seed was planted. Like even in this text, it doesn't make sense why Zacchaeus would be so excited that Jesus is coming to town. Maybe he had heard that Jesus had previously called Levi, who was a tax collector, to leave his tax booth and come follow him. This, this, this whole story, is, it runs a lot of parallels to that same exact story of Jesus walking up to Levi and saying, come follow me, come follow me. Or maybe he's heard that Jesus, out of all the other religious leaders whose whole kind of spectrum of the world was like, I want to separate from bad, I want to separate from evil, I want to separate from people who are unclean, I want to live a separate life, that's what the Pharisees were known for. Jesus broke down that wall and that he ate with tax collectors. So maybe Zacchaeus has heard these stories, and maybe he has hope that Jesus would take interest, love, and forgive him. So either way, he's ready to see Jesus and seek Jesus. Look at verse 3. And he was... Uh, he was seeking to see Jesus, uh, who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. All right, so Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but he's got some real obstacles. At this point, Jesus is very popular. In every town that he's been in, he's been preaching good news. He's been performing miracles. And so wherever he goes with increasing... uh, Uh, popularity, there's large and large groups wanting to press in, see Jesus, welcome Jesus, celebrate Jesus, hear Jesus, be healed by Jesus. There's people that want to be around Jesus. And this is a big problem for Zacchaeus because he's a very little man. He's really short. Read lots of commentaries on this. They said probably less than five feet tall. Okay. So he's just a little guy and uh, Zacchaeus can't see over the crowd, right? Lots of tall people. He's little. Nobody's doing Zacchaeus' any favors. They're not letting him get in. All right. And so that's where he's at. And Zacchaeus can't see over the crowd, so he does something. He's like, I'm gonna run ahead. I know where Jesus is gonna walk. He's walking on this run. I'll run ahead. I'll get up in a tree and I'll wait for Jesus to walk by. So just picture this, by the way. You've got a grown man who's very wealthy climbing up a tree, and you look up and you see his little baby legs dangling off the branches, all right? Like, this is, this is a weird scene, you guys, all right? This is a formal context, this is a formal society. Like. In this society, there's all kinds of spoken and unspoken rules. Like, if you're a Jewish man, there's a lot of things you don't do, okay? You don't run. You don't show your legs. You definitely don't climb a tree, all right? That's what kids do, not adults, not people that are respectable and have jobs. But this is actually telling us something about what's happening in Zacchaeus's heart. And I just want to slow down here. Like, there's something happening in his heart. He's no longer running his decision-making metrics off of what can I do to avoid ridicule, well, what kind of religious games do I need to play? How do I just fit in? He said, I will intentionally do something that will lead to ridicule because I just want to see and be seen by Jesus. Like, he, he's not worried about what people are going to think. He's not worried about looking silly or childlike. He's willing to say, whatever it takes, I'm going to pursue Jesus. And I wondered in our context, what does this look like? Number one, I think when I looked at Zacchaeus' example here for us, that an application one would be just an intentionality. Like, I read this and I said, man, do I still want to do whatever it takes to see and be around Jesus? And do I want to wake up early and... And be around Jesus and read my Bible? Do I want to put my phone down? Do I want to get off social media and just be with Jesus? Do I want to walk around creation and pray and talk to Jesus? Am I willing to do whatever it takes with a, a, a sense of intentionality just to see and be seen and learn from and experience Jesus? And so I love this because Zacchaeus is saying, I don't care. I don't care what you think. I'm getting up in the tree because I want to see Jesus. And in our context, I still think to this day, if you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, people could say, grow up. You look like a child in a tree. You're silly. You're believing fairy tales. And I said, man, I can't explain. But Jesus has met me and pursued me and made me new. And his truth is real. And God is a creator. And he loves. And he's been near. And he's shown himself to be real. And so would you come? Would you get up in the tree with me? Because I'm telling you to see Jesus is better than anything. I love this. Zacchaeus is serving as an example for us to follow. Let's get back into the story. Verse 5, it says this, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Guys, this is an unexpected moment with Zacchaeus. This is the guy that everybody else in town would have been trying to avoid, but not Jesus. Jesus calls him by name. And I love how personal this is. But I love what Zacchaeus, where what Jesus is doing and how he's treating Zacchaeus because he doesn't look up and see this grown man in a tree and says, he doesn't say, you fool, you sinner, you tax collector, what are you doing? What a joke, he says his name, Uh, which one of the theological truths is you just need to know that Jesus seeks people out, not just generally, but personally. Like if you're here today, he knows your name. He sought you and he's pursued you. He knows your name, if you're his, Son or daughter, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, right? So he knows every one of your days. He knows every hair on your head. He is sovereign. He knows you personally. What I love about a God of our, the Bible is that he's powerful. There's nothing he can't do, and yet he's personal, and he knows us by name. And he calls Zacchaeus by name. But he doesn't just call him by name. What he does is he invites him into relationship. He says, Zacchaeus, we got to go to your house, and we've got to have dinner tonight. And you would first see, like, in our American culture, that seems kind of rude. Like, if I walked up to you and be like, hey, I'm married, I have a wife, and we also have four kids, and they love to eat food, and we're coming to your house tonight for dinner. You'd be like, no, you're not. You're not, because I wasn't planning on that, and I don't have 76 hot dogs. Okay, so... um, So it could feel rude for us to invite ourselves over for dinner. But in the Jewish culture, like, it was all built around hospitality. In the Old Testament, there's all these rules about welcoming the sojourner and the traveler and and inviting people in the town square to come and eat and be received because that's who our God is, is he's hospitable and he makes a way and he provides. And so God's people were supposed to do that. So this was just built into their culture. And so when Jesus walks in as a traveler, like, he's going to get to pick who he has dinner with. And he could have picked a religious leader. He could have picked a political leader. He could have picked another wealthy business person. But he picks Zacchaeus. And what he's doing is he's saying, Zacchaeus, we're going to be friends. I'm picking you. I want to receive you. I want to know you. I want to be known by you. This is a big deal. Just like in our culture today, like if you have dinner, you get around a dinner table with somebody. That's communicating, I want to have friendship and relationship and know you and be known by you. Let's tell stories. Let's talk about what God's done in our lives. It's a place of relationship. And let me just tell you, Zacchaeus didn't have a whole lot of friends. He had a whole lot of money. He ate a whole lot of meals, but they were oftentimes alone because nobody wanted to be friends with Zacchaeus. Nobody was picking Zacchaeus. Jesus picked Zacchaeus. And so what happens is Zacchaeus climbs down the tree and receives Jesus with great joy. And I love this because we are all searching for joy. Everybody in this room wants joy. If you write a book on joy, it's going to sell. People want to experience joy. But joy is very different than happiness. Happiness is based on your circumstances. Happiness comes and goes, okay? Uh, You can be happy and then your check engine light comes on. Now you're not happy, right? That's fleeting. It comes and it goes, right? Your Wi-Fi goes down. Lord, why have you forsaken me, right? You lose happiness. Joy is at a soul level, I think what he's so excited about is he's felt guilt, he's felt shame, he's felt separated from God, he's felt overlooked. He realizes he's outcast, and the God of the universe is walking by and saying, "I want you. I can forgive you. I can. Re- I, I'm a relationship with you. I can do a new work in your, your life, and I'm not just going to preach at you. I'm going to sit at a table and I'm going to know you, and I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to do a new work in your life. That's joy, Christians." If you want joy today, take inventory of where you would be if God had not broken into your story, moved towards you, sought you, saved you, transformed you, made you more like him, filled you with his spirit, given you his word, given you eternal life. That's the source of our joy. The source of our joy is not trumped up circumstances and we pretend that we don't walk in a a, a, a world that's broken and marred and sinful and filled with suffering. We don't just pretend that that's not a reality. What we do is we sober-mindedly say, God, you saw it as at our worst, and you've pursued us. Joy. God, I don't deserve one lick of your mercy, and yet you've called my name personally. Joy. God, what I deserve is wrath and hell, and what you've given me, grace and eternal life. Joy. I have something to rejoice in today because the gospel is true, and you're a good God. Joy. Amen? So, Zacchaeus is full of joy. You see one response to the gospel is a guy who's coming down the tree. He's excited. He's climbing. He can't wait to go to dinner with Jesus. And then you've got a whole bunch of people that are watching this unfold, and they're not filled with joy. All right? They're a picture of self-righteousness. Here's what it is. Verse 7. It said, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be, uh, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Okay? So the crowd is standing, and they're like, seriously, Jesus? Out of everybody in Jericho, you could have hung out with the religious leader and you hung out with this dude. Like this is the one you pick. He steals lunch, uh, lunch money from kids. This is a guy who, uh, who has not earned a meal with you and yet you're giving him your best. I hope you just see how ugly this is. Like this is a picture of the crowd and what's happened in the crowd's heart is they've drawn lines between good people and bad people. And they think Zacchaeus is on the wrong side of the equation they're good, he's bad. He's dirty, they're clean. Why do they feel entitled to Jesus's time and attention and affection? Because they think they've earned it. And, and that they're outraged that a guy who's broken all the rules gets Jesus around his dinner table. So this is really a picture, if you remember Luke, uh, the older brother and the younger brother, Luke 15, this is a picture of the older brother, the self-righteous posture. And I just, before we moved on, I just want to ask, like, because it's very possible for us as church people to be like, ah, that's so weird. Like, you should, you should celebrate. It's very clear. Like, Jesus said, when one sinner returns, we should celebrate. We should rejoice. When a sinner repents and receives grace, we should clap. That's why we make such a big deal of baptism celebrations here. Like, it's a really big deal when people get born again filled with the spirit of God, repent of their sins, walk in newness of life. We love that. We celebrate that just like your biological family celebrates when you have a baby. We as a church celebrate when people come to know Christ. And yet there can be something in our hearts that's a lot like this crowd that can see maybe God working in somebody's life that's hurt us, wounded us, lied to us, abandoned us, broke the promises to us, abused us. And we think, man, I want grace, of God on my life for my sins, but I want the wrath of the Father on their life for their sins. I want grace, I want wrath for them, grace for me. And that's a picture of self-righteousness and that's not in line with the gospel. And so I just wanna ask, would we wrestle with this? Is there somebody in your life who's broken a promise, who didn't deliver on something they said they would do, who used their words to hurt you and you're holding on to bitterness and you're hoping that God's wrath falls on them while well, you hope God's grace falls on you, would, would you receive grace? Would you forgive that person? And would we say, God, would you help align my heart to your heart? I don't want just grace for me. I want grace for them. I want them to enjoy you and know you and be changed and transformed by you. That's what uh, this is calling out. Now, Zacchaeus is going to respond to God's grace in a really powerful, beautiful way. Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it full, full, fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus has become a Christian. One of the shortest, maybe theological phrases here is Jesus is Lord. That's how Zacchaeus acknowledges Jesus. He says, Lord, who was Lord in the Roman Empire? Caesar was Lord. It was Caesar's kingdom. His word was above the other. We had to worship him. But Zacchaeus is very clearly saying, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You're the leader of my life. Your ways, your words, that's what wins. And Jesus looks at him and says, today salvation has come to this man's house says he's a son of Abraham, not just meaning that he is um, Jewish, but that he's become a child of God. He's entered in the family of God. How? Well, the same way that Abraham did, because he had faith in a perfect Savior. That's what's happening in this text. And Jesus is not just going to dismiss Zacchaeus' sins. He's going to actually not just excuse them. He's going to go on the cross, take on the wrath of God, to pay for his spiritual debt and ours. That's what's happening. He says, you have become an insider in the family of God. And this is an amazing act of grace and mercy that's gonna change Zacchaeus. The Bible calls this again, being born again. It's a spiritual rebirth. It's supernatural. It's something that happens in our hearts. And Zacchaeus is physically and spiritually alive in a way that he's never been. Jesus is his Lord. He's got a new nature and a new heart. And guess what starts to happen in his life? There's a new spiritual fruit that breaks out of his life. Now he publicly says, I'm guilty of two things. This is beautiful, by the way. This is a picture of repentance and confession. He says, I need to confess publicly before all of you in the city, everybody who's lining the streets. There's a couple things that are true of my life. Sins of omission and sins of commission. There's a sense of omission, sins things that I was supposed to do that I never did. I got a lot of money and I've never cared about the poor. I've used all of my money on my pleasure and my comfort. That changes today. Jesus is my Lord. He's my king. I'm giving half of my wealth to care for the poor because Jesus cares for the poor. The poor are welcomed in the kingdom of God. And so I'm gonna give half of my wealth to the poor. Can you imagine that? That's way above and beyond a 10% tithe. That's crazy generosity. Sense of commission. There's things that I've done that I shouldn't have done. Mainly, I've extorted and robbed some of you. I've taken from you more than I should. And did you see how he opens it up? He's like, hey, if I've done that, would you come talk to me? He says um, if I've done that, if I've taken a dollar, I'm gonna give you full, uh, I'm going to give it to you four times back." which by the way, in numbers chapter five, there's this little note on what you're supposed to do if you're God's people and you've taken something from someone, you're supposed to return it and give them twenty percent more. And this is not penance or um, workspace salvation or earning or merit. This is him just simply saying, God is a God of justice. I want to be just. God is a God of generosity. I want to be generous. God is a God who cares for the poor. I want to live out his kingdom ways and values with all, every area of my life. And so you look at this, and Jesus says, look, look at this guy. This is why I've come. This is what my love does. This is my mission. People like this, I've come to seek and to save sinners. I love them. I want to call them to repentance of sin and believe in me and, and give them a new heart and a new life. And, and friends, like the mission was not Of Jesus was not just to launch some global organization or become a famous moral teacher. He came into a world filled with lost, broken people to seek them and save them from hell. He came to call people to repentance and faith. He came to live and to die for us. And that's the great news. And what I love about this is that you see Jesus. Jesus is a God on mission. He's on mission, not just to hang out with religious people and give some sermons and do some miracles. He's on mission to call people like me and you back into right relationship with the Father. That's awesome. By the way, that we're not just people who get to enjoy Jesus moving towards us. We get to step into the mission of God, right? If Jesus loved lost people, we as a church have to love lost people. We don't wanna be people that said, man, well, the good people are in the church and the bad people are outside of the church. No, no, no. There's all of humanity's fallen and broken. We wanna love people, even if they look really far from God. Man, we believe the gospel. We believe that Jesus can do a new work in their life. We believe that there's forgiveness for their sins at the foot of the cross. We believe that God can write a new story. We want to love lost people, not avoid lost people. We want to step into the mission of God, not just walk away and ignore the mission of God. So that's what we do as a church. That's what we do as individuals that we, we pray, God, would you use us in this way? Now, let me close with this. If you're a Christian, uh, I, want, I want you to, first of all, take inventory of your story. I want you just to slow down this morning and just say, thank you, Jesus, for calling me by name. Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. Jesus called you by name. You're a child of God because he pursued you. He called me by name. When I wasn't looking for him, he was looking for me. That's the great news of Christianity. We have a God who doesn't just wait for you to figure it out. He comes and pursues you and seeks you and saves you and loves you and sees you and knows you personally. Would you just take inventory and have a posture of gratitude? And then I just look at Zacchaeus' life. Like When Jesus started working in his life, he not only did whatever it took to to see Jesus, but... His actual life changed, and I know as Christians, it's so easy to kind of slip into this, this place where we acknowledge Jesus as savior, but we want to keep him out of certain rooms of our life. We welcome him into 95 percent of the house, but there's this one basement room where we're like, "Jesus, I don't want you to go in there." And Zacchaeus is like, "That one room is really obvious. It's my greed, It's how I've treated people, it's how I've stolen, it's how I've been unjust. It's how I've taken and oppressed people. It's how I've used the poor and not blessed the poor. Jesus, you're welcome here as king. So I'm gonna align my life with your life. And so I just wanna ask Christians right now, if you're here and there's something in your life that just needs to get cut out, you need to repent of it. You need to flee from it. You need to declare war on it. You need to say, I'm sorry, this wasn't right. I'm, I'm harboring bitterness towards this person. And I gotta let it go. Jesus, you're in this door. I'm repenting of it. Jesus, would you change this area of my life? Man, if there's conflict, if you've been stealing from people, you've been using people, would you say, man, that's got to quit. I got to stop that. If there's something you know the Lord has been calling you to do, but you keep telling him, I won't do it. I won't do it, God. I won't go on that trip. I won't write that check. I won't end that relationship that I know is ungodly and not helpful for me. I, I won't get up and set my alarm and pursue you and walk according to your word and try to abide in you. I just won't do it. Would we repent of that and say, God, no, 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 Jesus changed this area of my life. Empower me to live according to your word and your way today. Let me close also with this. If you're not yet a Christian, I wanna encourage that you can become one today. And I don't know, maybe you're here today and you're climbing in a tree like Zacchaeus and your life's a little bit of a mess, like my buddy Jake's was, like mine was. Um, I want you to know there's hope in the gospel for people like you. God loves you. God pursued you. I believe that maybe God is drawing you here today so that you can get in that tree and come to pursue Jesus. I want you to know Jesus can call your name. Salvation can be yours. What it looks like to become a Christian is not to get your whole life together. What it looks like to be a Christian is to realize you're sinful and broken and you need a savior and his name is Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect sinless life, life that you would have never lived. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the grave and he wants a relationship with you. Would you believe in him? That's what it looks like. And it's not just a magic pill. Everything in your life might not just get better tomorrow. But what you have is a relationship with eternally good God who loves you. He's going to empower you to fight sin and walk according to His ways. Would you receive Him today and let Him write a new story over your life? Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Chris Heruska of City Light Omaha. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.